Blog Talk Radio. This is Gail Sylvia, your host of sylviaglobal.com radio. I'm so excited today to have as a special guest Jackie Zayner. Jackie Zayner is the president of the Jacqueline Gregory Zayner Foundation. She is also the CEO of Women Moving Millions uh, and um, significantly the mother of two. She's been married for 16 years. And one of her a big accomplishment in her professional background is that in 1996, Jackie was the youngest woman and first female trader to be invited into the partnership of Goldman Sachs. Uh, one of the words that she associated with, um, that she spoke of quite quickly when I asked her about her background, was the word credibility. And I think that that's an important part of all of the work that we do, but especially given the role of Goldman Sachs and its image um, in the world today, to have a guest on the air to speak to us around the world about credibility and leadership, philanthropy, wealth, faith, and family. It's a pleasure, Jackie, to have you here. Thank you so much. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be with you today. How are you today? I'm great. Really um, excited. You and I had the opportunity. We met uh, because of Women Moving Millions, and we'll come back on a later episode and talk in detail about the phenomenal work of being, you know, giving big and bold um, to women and girls. But today, we'd really like to get to know Jackie Zayner and what's important to you and how you've accomplished um, the things that have been important and remain important in your life, especially those things relevant to women and girls, Jackie. So thank you again so much for being here today. Um, Jackie, Todd, you're originally from a small town in Canada. Can you describe your upbringing for us? Oh, sure. Uh, Well, gosh, I grew up in a very, well, not so small now, I guess. It's a beautiful town most people have not heard of called Kelowna, British Columbia. It's in the Okanagan Valley, which is sort of 300 miles northeast of Vancouver and has come to be known as the Napa Valley of Canada, mm-hmm. though I have to say it's, it's much, uh, much more beautiful in my humble opinion. <laughs> but my dad, uh, my dad ran, a, ran a grocery store for most of my um, life there. I was born and raised, went to two years of, of college in Kelowna. And my mom, oh gosh, was in real estate and insurance, basically had two parents that worked super hard uh, you know, to put food on the table and, um, you know, to give us opportunities. Went to public high school, never heard anything about private school back then or, or summer camps or any of the things that my kids get are so fortunate to, to experience now. But grew up riding horses. And believe it or not, Gail Sylvia, I don't know if you know this about me, but I was a competitive bodybuilder in my, my young years. I'm not and, surprised, uh, but I did not know that about you. That's great. Yeah, so I, I did that. I was actually, um, I, I won a few competitions in my, my younger years. So so being 16 in a bikini all greased up, I tell you, that prepared me for anything in life, I swear. What um, made you decide to do that? You know what? I had a, a boyfriend, you know, should that be a surprise <laughs> to anyone? Uh, I met this guy, Mario. And uh, he was a bodybuilder, and he, he took me to the gym and you know, at the age of 15 and just really started working out and just fell in love with the sport. Did you, uh, did you know that I also did bodybuilding? 
No, I did not yeah. know that. <laughs> Go ahead, it's your story. You're on the you're in the spotlight right now. But Oh yeah, we've got to have a coffee over that one. Um yeah. but yeah, just just grew up horseback riding and did well academically, loved school and went on to the University of British Columbia to get my undergrad in in business. Uh graduated in nineteen eighty eight and was really, really fortunate to be hired right into Goldman Sachs as an analyst in, in 1988 and, um, you know, never looked back. You, Jackie, were you a, a student leader? Were you, uh, you know, how would you describe your personality type in those formative years? Oh, goodness. You know, it's it's hard for me to go back and sort of think about that. I, I do try because now having children that are teenagers – you know, I, 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 not that I, I think I turned out okay, but just sort of what were those influences, or you know, how did I end up, you know, right. having the opportunities I had? But yes, I was um, in student leadership in, in high school for sure. Lots of athletics. Always, you know, always had a passion. That's one thing about me. You'll never say, oh my gosh, you know, that's a girl that that doesn't have any passions. So I always had a lot of them. But was in leadership in student council and, like I said, sort of different sports. Um, I always had passion around. And, you know, that carried on to college. You know, uh, I usually I had a job since I was 14 or 15, so I always sort of balanced that with, with trying to make my own money and, and things like that. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't say it was overly orchestrated. You know, I think about that now with my kids and with, you know, our, our whole generation of how we raise children. You know, my parents were great, I and mean, we're still very close. We spend a lot of time together. And, you know they were they just set set uh, a great example they're a really hard working couple you know great family values i would say and you know i grew up more independent than i would say my children are growing up today with a lot more freedoms and freedoms to make choices and make a lot of mistakes and not as um protected when i when i fell down i would say um but yeah i tried a lot of things and and enjoyed a lot of things and you know I, I think I had just a real average childhood with great parents. I was really, really blessed. So uh, you went on to Goldman Sachs, and what were the the biggest influences that that went with you from home and from Canada? You know, in terms of your own personality and character and standards. Oh, wow, that's a great question. Um, well, when I joined, I have to say it was a big move, you know, going yeah. from the small town in, in British Columbia to the Big Apple, and somewhat intimidating. I mean, I went to the University of British Columbia, which is a good school, but it's not, you know, Harvard and Wharton and Stanford, and, you know, starting that same day with hundreds of other kids that had these huge pedigrees was, was certainly a little intimidating, uh, but I think what really served me well, I would say, over the years um, was was having a pretty strong sense of self. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I was always one, and I hope I am still, you know, that just I am who I am. doesn't mean I don't want to get better every day. I certainly do, and I have, you know, good qualities and not so good qualities. But uh, I, I think there was just such a, a sense of honesty that came from my family and transparency and hard work, a, a big work ethic. And also, you know, a desire to have a lot of fun because uh, I think things can get too serious sometimes. Yeah, a lot of the time, especially in the environment that you were in, right? How were you able to to distinguish yourself in such a competitive environment? 
Well, I think some of those qualities. I mean, I worked really, really hard, um, for sure. You have to. You know, a, a Wall Street career, I mean, a career in anything these days, and, and always, you always have to work hard. Uh, but what differentiated me? That's that's a great question. I mean, I, I think personality, I hope, uh, a little bit. I was really fortunate. I, I migrated out of an analyst job into a trading position after two years and was one of the first uh, young women, gosh, that was would have been in 1990, um, to to be a trader in the mortgage-backed trading area, uh, which um, which back then especially it was really crazy. I mean, these are the these were the times books were written about, like Liars Poker was a big mortgage trading, very famous Michael Michael Lewis book. Actually, my boss, my former boss, was prominently featured in that book. Um, but I think it was a really great work ethic. And for me as a trader, I actually took on a, a sort of rather than a very proprietary orientation. I really marketed my product. I really was in dialogue. I probably should have been a salesperson over a trader, but it felt really important to me. I was running my own business, so I really took the business development aspect of it seriously and really got to know our clients and and hopefully did a well, I think did a, a really good job of balancing uh, making money for the firm, which was my job, uh, with developing a franchise and making money for my clients. And, you know, talk about a, a topical uh, discussion now around sort of Wall Street. I, I think that it's always been a balance um, for anyone who works in finance, especially in a trading position. You look at all these horrible things that have happened recently. Uh, and to really balance that, how do you, you know, make money for the organization you work for and at the same time, you know, build long-term relationships with clients and serve them well. And I think that's ultimately why I was um, promoted and rewarded well, you know, back when I was in that role because I really found that balance, but it took a heck of a lot of work to make that happen. Jackie, you know, I um, you wrote an article a while back called Goldman, you know, Goldman Bias Suited Suit offers Wall Street an opening, and you you're consulted quite frequently on issues pertaining to Wall Street. You know when it comes to women and in the this type in the business environment, you know what are your thoughts in terms of the what women can do to protect ourselves, but not always be on the defense, but to really seize and maximize any opportunities that are presented to us. Yeah, that's that's a you know, huge topic. I mean, certainly when I was in finance um, and on Wall Street, there were still relatively you know few women in senior leadership roles, but in certain roles, especially in trading, uh, just minimal. You know, five to ten percent. I don't know what the numbers are now. It's been ten years since I left, you know, finance. But if you if you look at sort of women in leadership roles, of course the numbers are still not high. I think six percent women CEO, C-suite maybe you know, 12 to 15 percent. It seems like we can't get over 15 percent in leadership in any sector, which is one of the reasons I do what I do, because I'm just shocked that that's still the case, given now especially what's been, um, you know, women's uh, presence and uh, participation in in education. It's long since um, not been a pipeline issue in my perspective. But, you know, I think it's really tough. I think that there's um, you know, I was really lucky. I had great bosses. I also had some horrible experiences, but one really um, uh, outweighed the other in terms of, you know, my promotion possibilities and just having really good management, et cetera. But sometimes, you know, I, I think about the fact that, you know, and this isn't just women and men it could, you know, relate to, 
any kind of diversity, any kind where you're not the majority in the room, that so much energy and time, you know, has to go in to, I wouldn't say trying to fit in um, exactly, but just, you know, ab- absorbing and understanding what is often a, just the dominant culture. And it takes a lot of work to do that. And in some organizations, and I think this is really important for young women especially to think about uh, when, they're, when they're entering jobs, and it's, it's, you know, I think for younger women now where it tends to be oftentimes 50-50 depending on, you know, what field they're going into or maybe in some cases dominated by women, but if you're choosing an industry that's dominated by men, which is still the majority of them, corporate America, finance, you name it, it's really, really important to get a sense of corporate culture, not just what it feels like at the entry level, but what it looks like all the way up. Because if you do well, you know, you invest in a career, you're going to stay with that company. And I think a lot of women nowadays, at least many of the ones I talk to, kind of think it's, it's evened out. And only to find, you know, 10 years into their career, they start, you know, hitting big roadblocks and go, oh, my gosh, what happened? And a lot just has to do with culture and, and understanding that culture and, and knowing what it takes to be successful in that culture. So it's, it's really different depending on industries and organizations. But, you know, having a strong sense of self, knowing your talents, working hard, you know, standing up for yourself, especially in compensation. I mean, that's a lot of studies have have shown that women do not represent themselves well in compensation discussions. But, um, you know, a lot of the, just what you need to be successful in in life is what you need to be successful in your job. But it's it's having a lot of confidence and being, you know what, and if the culture is too bad, being willing to move and go somewhere else. You know, Jackie and uh, Women Moving Millions, we're having, we've placed, you know, the leadership has placed a lot of emphasis on um, cultural competency. So what I hear you describing is corporate cultural competency and the importance of it there the same way that it would apply in in any sector of our life in terms of being competent and understanding the the environment and those that we're engaged with. Yes, absolutely. And I, you know, I think different firms have different um commitments to that. I would I will say, you know, when I, when I was at Goldman many many years ago, you know, I was very fortunate to serve on the diversity committee, leadership development effort, and all these things that were really uh, about culture. And, again, I've been gone a long time, but I will say at that time, and I think what made Goldman Sachs so special at that time was a real deep commitment to culture. I mean, living those business principles, you know, day in and day out. It doesn't mean everyone did all the time, but, you know, your promotion decisions especially have to be tied to those principles um, if you hold them. If you don't hold them and you don't care and you just want to make money, that's one thing. But if you have um, business principles like that and values out there that you espouse, you have to live up to them. And I, I think some, some organizations are obviously way better at it than others. But I think younger people today, I would hope and think, you know, choose organizations because of their culture, which has a lot to do with, obviously, the alignment of values. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's ever more important because, you know, whenever you, you take a job, it's an investment. Yes, they're paying you, but, you, you know, you're, you're also investing, really investing in them. And I, I, I would hope to see um, even just a consciousness around consumers and in general to really want to understand the culture of the companies they're buying products from and supporting. 
you know, we're calling it sort of gender lens investing. You know, how do I use my money in my case to, you know, my values around supporting women and girls and their advancement. You know, how am I using my money, my consumer dollars, my investment dollars, my philanthropic dollars in a way that is in alignment with my values so that, you know, I'm supporting companies that share those values and not supporting those that don't. How did you translate your values and what you learned from the corporate um, experience into the work that you do philanthropically? Oh, again, that's such a journey. That's just so. That's a long. That's another. And I have to have coffee over over a question. That's a <laughs> long will. one. You know, I I feel like you know go, you know saying sometimes you worked at Goldman Sachs became has become like you know you saying that I don't know just something really bad. You know, and, and I, I will say that I learned really, really great things, um, uh, you know, while working there in terms of teamwork, in terms of listening, in terms of, you know, hard work um, and just being around, you know, just great people. And so I, I hope I'm bringing all of those, you know, into the work that I'm doing now. I mean, for the past 10 years up until just a few months ago, I really have been working quite independently. I mean, we have our foundation that that uh, that you know, gives money but also does a little programmatic work around women and girls. And I serve on a whole bunch of boards and I volunteer a ton of time. And I've done a little consulting and blogging and writing and all these kinds of things. But I really haven't run an organization or really managed more than one or two people. And now in my new role, um, which is interesting now, it's a small team, but I'm still sort of CEO and still ultimately accountable. I'm really kind of pulling back and reflecting and even going back and reading articles around that I remember being so meaningful to me when I was managing people and leading uh, teams of people at Goldman Sachs way back when, like I'm calling, you know, on favorite leadership articles, you know, from Tom Peters or, oh gosh, you know, just just so many people I used to be so into, you know, studying all that stuff. And um, what I'm learning new now, which working in the nonprofit sector um, and working, I would say, in a leadership role in a real community of women, is is that there there are a lot of differences I am finding where you know in the opposite again ten years ago I was much more had a staff of men and worked much more in sort of a male environment that what what I'm what I was good at I think is just making decisions and moving forward and you know just sort of being fast and what I'm learning now in my role is just how much um, how much more commitment there is to collaboration. And sort of that balance between making decisions and feeling and having everyone feel a part of those decisions and moving them forward. I know McKenzie had this leadership model that which I love, which they don't characterize as men versus women, but they call it a centered leadership model, yeah. and it's based on sort of more feminine, I would say, properties of leadership like empathy, collaboration, et cetera, and. Um, I, I need to go back and really study that because managing and leading is a skill. It's something you learn, and I need to I need to get the dust off because it's been a while. Well, Jackie, let's back up just for a second. So, what prompted you to leave Goldman, and was it a different Goldman than the one depicted in the book Liar's Poker by Michael Lewis? <laughs> by, yeah. by the time. Has much changed, and what what prompted you to finally make that that you know to leave? Yeah, well, actually, um, Michael Lewis's book was um, my boss was in the book, but it was more based on Solomon Brothers, which is a firm that doesn't exist. Yes. But 
Lisa Elwerk wrote a book, The Culture of Success, about Goldman, I think probably in the 90s. And I would say that was the Goldman that I was a part of. Um, you know, I think it's Bill Cohen. I can't remember the name of his new book, but he just recently wrote another book about Goldman, which I read part of and then, you know, kind of stopped. I don't know. It just felt like kind of weird. It felt like you were reading about your family in some strange way. Uh, but, you know, what, why I left, you know, that's it's so complicated. And actually all the controversy that's out there right now over the, the recent uh, Anne-Marie Slaughter, I believe is her name, that wrote the cover article for Atlantic Magazine about can you have it all, and it's, it's, it's everywhere, and they're getting thousands and thousands of responses about this, and it's that age-old question of work-life balance, and especially for women where that really is a challenge. And, and I would say for me, you know, if I were to be really honest with myself and, and with you, about why I left, um, I would have to say I just I I stopped loving what I was doing. I stopped loving the the work relative to um, sort of my outside and, and it's all blurry anyway. But sort of my my outside life because the trade offs you have to make in a lot of these positions, certainly being a partner at Goldman was one of them, was just huge you know time commitment of course. And um, I think women leave. Because you know they what they get from their job you know sort of is is not enough relative to what they feel is left empty because of that time commitment and um so for me, it was yes, I had two small children, yes, I had enough money, so I didn't have to work for money to the same degree that i that I was, but more than anything else, I just stopped believing that what I was doing, um, and then I had a kind of a weird role at the time that I left. I wasn't managing a trading desk anymore. I was really in human capital management, but I really stopped believing that I was making enough of a difference to make it all worthwhile. You know, you referenced Anne-Marie Slaughter's, um, you know, her her position in her article. Well, how would you define uh having it all what does that mean in your life you know what, yeah. what when do you know that enough is enough and is satisfying and rewarding for you personally you know you individually apart from the role or including the role of wife mother and your other interests versus just the the, the money you know what how do you define having it all yeah, I, I, that's such a great question, and I was I was going to sit down. I haven't got to it yet, and really, that's the exact thing I wanted to write something about. So, thank you for asking me that question. I think part of it is is the language, you know, work life balance, having it all. You know, what does all mean? You know, right. clearly it means something different for all people, but right. I think it's sort of a, a bigger thing of the problem in our culture is that if you don't have lots of money, you know, a great spouse, wife, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever you know, great kids that are, you know, perfect, great house, then you're a failure, you know, and it's like that, you know, and that's sort of built in in our consumerist, you know, consumerist culture, which is, of course, why we're in the economic troubles we are in today anyway. So I think part of it is just the language of work-life balance, of having it all. It's just the wrong language. And even in my work now, I'm just, I'm really understanding the power of words and what we put out there as to affect our psyche in a way that makes, I would say, joy more so than happiness unattainable and elusive and it leads to a very, very empty life in that regard. So part of it is just I, I understand the question, it's the right question, but I also hate the question. Um, that being said, you know, I, 
I love my life. I love my life. I'm just like, I, I literally thank God every day, um, you know, for the blessings that I have in my life. I mean, I've, you know, family um, that I love and care about and that are still around and that have health. And, you know, obviously I have a lot to be grateful for. I have great financial resources because of my, you know, career on Wall Street, and now I'm choosing the work I want to do in my life. Um, but I think meaningful work, and that's, you know, I had a great talk with a girlfriend the other day who I was sitting across from, and she was changing from one job for, to another, and and she was just saying, you know, oh, I wish I could have work I love rather than work that I have to do to make a living. And I just, you know, I, I just sort of sat there, and I, I was trying to be with her, and I was like, oh, my gosh, how lucky am I to have work? I mean, it's volunteer work, but it's still work that I love and that I feel is so aligned with my values and my passions. So, um, you know, I think for me, having that meaningful work, you know, having great family and friends, I live in a beautiful place. I live in Park City, Utah, and every day I look outside and I pinch myself that I get to live in such a beautiful place. Um, but there is just so much in being, I think, just living in that space of gratitude for what you do have and, um, and, just, and just sort of trying to get away from a culture that tells us and defines for us what happiness and joy should look like. And, you know, just coming at it for me from a faith-based perspective and uh, just sort of that, I know it's a cliche, but just that real attitude of gratitude keeps my feet on the ground and hopefully it keeps me in a joyful place. What is your faith-based perspective, Jackie? Oh, well, I'm a Christian, so my, you know, that's my um, my faith perspective. Uh, so non-denominational, I would say actually my husband, Greg, after he was also a partner at Goldman, went on to be uh, go to Yale Divinity School and become a minister and was a, was a pastor for a number of years where we lived in, in New Canaan. Um, but sort of, yeah, I, I would say it's sort of hard to put myself on a spectrum. I think that's another place where language has been so hijacked that you say you're a Christian and, oh, my gosh, does that mean you know, right-wing, fundamentalist, nasty, preachy, judgmental, you know, no, <laughs> I hope I'm not that. Um, but really coming from a, um, I would say, just a very God-centered place that realizes, you know, that I'm far from perfect, but I do my best every day, and, you know, that that we're meant to live and serve others. You know, it's kind of interesting just the how wording, as you described as being hijacked and language, um, it seems to automatically create certain words can create assumptions and stereotypes that may have some examples of being fact-based, but by and large become these broad sweeping descriptions that are inaccurate for the majority. And I wonder for you if you know even you you know identifying yourself as a Christian, you know that that's one of the the things that has happened over time is that people make assumptions and are very judgmental about people who identify themselves as Christians as being these extremists. Same thing happens for people who are Muslim, you know, as well. And then um, to say that you were affiliated with Goldman Sachs, you know, during that there are probably you probably have encountered some of the you know, some negative assumptions about who you are as a person um, in associated with, in association with, you know, the, the images that are projected out there of Wall Street over the years and these most recent years. How do you how do you personally internalize or not internalize these assumptions about yourself, you know, that might be made based off of the word being a philanthropist or 
you know, having been associated with Wall Street, with your wealth, you know, with your faith? What do you, what do, you do with that? You know, I understand how labels help us. You know, stereotypes help us. You know, it's an organizing principle with, you know, with the, so much information at us. It just helps us process. But, you know, I, I think they are just words. And, you know, I, I hope, I don't, I don't know how I internalize it. I don't really think about it that way. Yeah. You know, I, 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 you know and, I, and I even say, well, you know, what are the words, you know, used to describe yourself? At the end of the day, you need some words to describe yourself. Are you describing your accomplishments or what you are, you know, and, and how we use that? And um, I don't know how to really answer that question. I think we just have to get behind the words. You know, one thing that I'm obsessing about recently, and I haven't done this, but I've been talking, I'm reading this book, I think it's called, oh my gosh, um, it's something like Embracing Imperfection or so, something like that. And it's sort of, um, the, the idea of understanding your own story and your own narrative and how that um, it can be, like, like you said, sort of very limiting um, in a way, because if you begin to define your story as I was a partner at Goldman Sachs, and that has its own thing that is is not even it's yeah you're in that story, but that that thing has its own story in and of itself, the Goldman Sachs story, and just thinking about that in the context of who am I, you know where did I come from, owning the good parts of that and maybe the parts that you hope to change, and just by 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 spending time, you know really within your own narrative and understanding it through that is sort of the process you can bring your best self to the world. Because I think um, focusing too much on the accomplishments or the labels or, you know, the things in your life that maybe just didn't go well that define you. I was, you know, I'm a ch child with divorced parents or I was, you know, things, things happened to me and I'm not diminishing the impact of those at all um, for any one individual but I just think what we don't spend enough time on, I would say, in our culture is, is really, and I don't mean this in a deep therapy kind of way, but just owning our own stories. And this gets into the having it all and work-life balance and all that. We are all so unique and so beautiful and so special. And, you know, if we, it, it's confidence comes from that and purpose comes from that. So, um, yeah, I just, I guess I, I use those words, but I try not to define myself by by them, if that makes sense. You know, it goes back to what you said at the beginning of the conversation in my mind, and that's just, it's not just, but the importance of self-confidence. You know, it's its understanding and accepting ourselves with the same type of compassion and love that we will probably more easily extend to others before we do it for ourselves in many cases. And being good with and grateful for who we are with what we have and then growing it from there. And as long as we're accepting and we know we have a good, healthy sense of who we are, our weaknesses and our strengths, it, it and our faith, you know, our ability to know that God didn't make any mistakes, you know, when he created us and that we can move forward and do such great things. You know, one of your favorite quotes you shared with me was um, be the change that you desire and that you that we need. Um, I think I'm misquoting it right this moment. But, uh, you know, being that change, whether it's internally or externally, and embracing that and having the, the joy of and the adventure of being 
all that life has to offer us and at least exploring it. And if something works, feeling free to let it, you know, those things that don't work, let it go. And those things that do work for us, just really embracing them and using them as a strength um, to move forward. Yeah. Um, Jackie, talk about, um, you know, before we close, like, you know, like the time has gone by so quickly. You know, what words of advice and encouragement would you give to a young woman right now who is where you were 10 years ago and, you know, they want to do something more passionate with their life and their money and their resources? You know, what what advice would you give to them? Oh, gosh. Um I think you're, you're being too generous. I mean, a young woman for me would be about 20-something years ago, <laughs> Sylvia, but but thank you. Um, I, I guess part of it is 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 just don't wait. When I, when I look back, and, you know, we're all busy. You know, you, I, I used to think, oh, you know, when I'm older, I'm not going to be busy. You just get more busy. You know, there's never a not busy if you're an interested, hardworking person with family. You know, it doesn't matter what. You know, most, most people are busy. And I think, too, um, to just make time to certainly be in touch with your passions and not make it something that you you think you can do you know ten years or twenty years from now because you don't have time like make that because that's what gives you that's what feeds you you know and I wish I would have done that more when I was um, when I was sort of younger it's just I'm not just saying just volunteer time or check the box but whatever it is that gives you passion and if you can line that passion with being of service to others you know that's even better. And I guess I'm finding, like, I have a couple young women who works with me now with two children and who's just an amazing, hardworking, incredible human being, and I see her being so hard on herself. And I think young women today are feeling the heat, you know, much more so. Not that young men aren't. I'm just not talking to that population at the moment, um, especially when they get in the career and the family and the husbands and this, and you just you just see them pushing so hard and feeling like they, you know, they can't screw anything up or that, you know, it, it's just it, just pushing, pushing, pushing and just and, and punishing themselves. You know, I'm not a good enough this. I'm not a good enough this. I, I, I'm not spending enough time with my, my kids. I'm not doing this, you know, and it's like, whoa, you know, and I did that, too. And in hindsight, you know, I don't, I'm not saying I have perfect kids. You know, someone said the other day, you know, you do. I don't know how they worded this, but you just never know what, especially when you have older children, you see how they're turning out, you know, good, bad, or otherwise. You think, oh, my gosh, what could I have done differently? And I just think if everyone just tries to do their best every day and be forgiving, you know, be forgiving of yourself. You know, someone said to me, you know, and I heard this, like, insecurity is a verbally transmitted disease. And you think about what we say to other people to feed their insecurity and what we do to ourselves, like walking by that mirror and going, oh, gosh, why can't I lose those friggin' 10 pounds already? Or, oh, my eyes are looking old. Or, you know, like whatever it is, and, and it is our culture, but we need to stop beating ourselves up all the time, you know, and just loving on one another and being positive and putting positive energy out there with others and with yourself. And I think for young women in particular, you know, that are in that, mother, you know, kid, uh, I mean, mother, job, husband, perfect everything world, where if you don't look like a porn star, you know, and, and have, you know, the perfect kids with the perfect school, then you're a failure. And I just, I think it just makes me so sad that so many people are walking around, including myself sometimes, you know, just so unhappy um, when, you know, really we have just so much to, to live for and be grateful for. 
Jackie Zayner, thank you so much for being here today on Sylvia Global. Will you come back again soon? Oh, my gosh, yes. I love radio. I think this is so much fun. I can have my coffee. I'm sitting in my house. And, Gil Silva, you're amazing. You're really wonderful questions. And I just thank you for what you're doing, sort of bringing forth, you know, so many incredible women and men, you know, that are just serving the world. And and thank you for what you're doing. Oh, my pleasure. And we want to come back, uh, especially, and continue the conversation around your philanthropy so that we can be of support. Um, to the, the the audiences that you need to to reach, and to also get the message out there about the good work that you are doing for women and girls that reflects the very passions that you share today. Thank you so much for being here. Great. Well, thank you. And I should, if it's okay, just mention I write a lot about all the organizations I care yes. about at JackieZayner.com. J a c k i z e h n e r dot com. So hope that was okay to share. Yeah, give that one more time, Jackie. I appreciate you doing that. Oh, sure. It's sort of my personal blog, and it's just a platform. I have pages and pages on facts and women and girls, countless research reports that support gender equality, and much, much more at www.jackiezaner, <laughs> J-A-C-K-I, no E, Z-E-H-N-E-R.com. Thank you, Jackie. This broadcast can be heard on sylviaglobal.com radio, also on iTunes as a podcast under Sylvia Global. Join us again soon for another upcoming conversation around women women and the leadership that we present and that we're in a position to drive forward on behalf of women and girls around the world. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you.